Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, worthy to be praised. I worship you. Think about the last time someone hurt you. Not physically, but emotionally. Maybe it was a terrible insult or an act of complete disrespect. Or maybe it was a betrayal. But during times like these, it can be so hard to forgive. Yes, we know the Bible teaches us to forgive, but that's easier said than done, isn't it? At the very least, we need an apology before we forgive. Sometimes we need more, like payback. And if that person ever does the same thing again, forget it. So today we're going to see why this way of thinking, even though it's completely human and normal, is actually dangerous. Yes, that's right, dangerous. The reason is found in something our Lord Jesus taught his disciples that you might have missed, or maybe you forgot about. I am Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, and get ready to join us for another 20-minute Bible study. reading from Matthew 18 in the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity for him, and then he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That was Matthew 18 verses 21 to 35. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. With an open mind and an open heart, we seek to take out of the Bible what God has put into it. And that means it's time to go to space. Space is an acronym. It reminds us to identify the speaker, 
audience, and context of a Bible verse before attempting an explanation. In other words, we always put the S, P, A, and C before the E in order to avoid misinterpreting God's Word. The speaker is Jesus, and the audience appears to be Peter. Verse 21 says, Peter came to Jesus and asked him this question about how many times he should forgive someone. But if you go back in chapter 18, you'll see the larger context is a time when all of the disciples were asking Jesus different questions. For example, verse 1 said, The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Yes, and right before Peter asked his question, our Lord had been talking about forgiveness. He teaches his disciples what we might call levels of escalation, and we could apply those to our lives today. Paraphrasing, if another believer sins against you, first, go to them privately and point out the offense. The hope here is that the person will admit he or she was wrong, apologize, and it's over. But let's pretend that doesn't happen. Next, confront the person again, but with witnesses. These days, we might call this an intervention. The hope here is that two or three people agreeing with you that the action was wrong will convince the person that they were wrong, and they'll apologize and it's over. By the way, this goes back to the scriptures and the law, which Jesus cites here in Matthew 18.16. For example, Deuteronomy 19.15 says the facts of a legal case, quote, must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses, end quote. Here, our Lord generalizes the rule to every type of conflict. You should establish the wrong was done by the testimony of two or three witnesses. But let's say that effort still fails. Step three, Jesus says, is to take your case to the church. Wait a second, what church? This is before the church began. Well, the word Jesus uses here just means the assembly or the larger group. Today, we can imagine the whole family or everyone in a particular social group. The idea here is to bring peer pressure to bear upon this person. And then finally, if if he or she won't accept the church's decision, Jesus says we are to treat that person as we would a non-believer. But of course, that raises some other questions like, does that mean hold a grudge? Does that mean take revenge? That's the context in which Peter approaches Jesus and asks his question. So now that we've covered the S, P, A, and C, we're all ready to get into the E, the explanation. Let's break down this Bible passage. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. You know, when our youth pastor taught from this passage, he joked, you math whizzes out there just ran a calculation, didn't you? 70 times seven is 490 times. After that, all bets are off. But of course, that isn't what Jesus meant, is it, Andy? Well, Jordan, as many commentators have pointed out, Peter had more than double the Jewish practice of pardoning someone three times for an offense. And we read about that in Amos 2, verse 6, and Job 33, 29. But Jesus wanted to communicate that our forgiveness should be without limit. So he took Peter's doubled number to a ridiculous extreme. Let's remember, Jesus' teaching was all about the heart and the spirit of the law, not the technicalities of the law. Some might be tempted to multiply his number out and come up with a rule. 
But Jesus may as well have said a zillion times, as that was the implied meaning. But just in case there is any doubt about that, he told Peter a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. As in all of our Lord's parables, it's critical to know what this parable is about. It's about the kingdom of heaven. Remember, our Lord was on earth to tell Israel he was their promised king. If they had accepted him, his earthly reign over a literal kingdom would have begun right then and there. So when Jesus speaks in the Bible, he is teaching about that literal earthly kingdom, one which prophecy tells us will still occur in the future and will last for 1,000 years. We must keep that in mind as we read this story. This is not about a figurative kingdom that exists in the hearts of believers today, and it's not about some far-off place in the clouds with pearly gates and harps. No, this is about the future millennial kingdom of Christ Jesus our Lord. For us, this means pay attention. Jesus won't be talking about how to get saved. He'll be talking about what happens to save people, to us, on Judgment Day if we behave like the person in this parable. Don't forget the A in space. He is talking to Peter, one of his closest disciples and a future apostle. So now let's talk about the story, Andy. A servant somehow owes his master millions of dollars. Yikes. And by the laws and customs of that time, this meant that by rights, everything he owned, including his lifetime of labor and the labor of his wife and children, could be sold to pay off his debt. This is true. And that was the custom of that day. But the key here in these verses is the truth that Jesus is teaching that a man's spiritual condition directly reflects on his household's spiritual condition. We read that the family would also have to pay for this man's negligence, which means that they also could have been blessed if he was faithful. Do you remember the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, verses 31 to 34? The jailer asks Paul and Silas, what must he do to be saved? And they told him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So this verse clearly portrays how a Christian man is spiritually responsible for their household before God. Yeah, that's a great point, Andy. And back to the earlier point, this parable is a kingdom of heaven parable that was spoken to Peter, one of our Lord's closest disciples who we know will be saved after Jesus pays for our sins on the cross. Hadn't happened yet. Unfortunately, Christians not knowing the difference between heaven and the kingdom of heaven can grossly misinterpret this parable. This is the main reason why we utilize the space method for our Bible studies. Therefore, knowing this parable is not about spirit salvation, since no man can repay God for their sins through works, it must be about the future kingdom. That is right, Jordan. And we know this man is saved since Jesus called him a servant that owed a debt to his master. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity for him, and then he released him and forgave his debt. Okay, 
As far as debt goes, it's hard to imagine how this servant even accumulated that much debt. He was probably a hypocritical, habitual sinner that did not confess his sins and repent while in service for God. He most likely waited for many years before even coming to God in prayer for forgiveness. I say that because we must remember the context of this parable. Peter just got done asking Jesus how many times we should forgive someone. And that's why we should daily apply 1 John 1.9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the Bible tells us that our God is good and his loving kindness and mercies are everlasting. We should know this. He loves his children and is content to forgive us whatever the sin, as long as we admit our faults, confess them, and ask for repentance. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. We should note the contrast between a few thousand dollars and the millions of dollars from before. These are translations intended to give us a sense of the meaning. But in the original language of the New Testament, the millions of dollars was 10,000 talents, and by some estimations, that was 60 million working days for a laborer, which is more than a thousand lifetimes. In other words, our Lord was using a number like 70 times 7 that we discussed earlier. It means an unpayable debt, a debt that's impossible to pay even in a thousand lifetimes. Yet here, the fellow servant owes something much more manageable. It's a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred working days for a laborer or less than a year. Yeah, Jordan. And you know, when I think about it, what a shame that the first servant, after being forgiven an insurmountable debt, was so carnal that he not only choked his fellow servant for a smaller debt, but he also orders them to be thrown into prison. Could you imagine? So I have to say, let's be honest with ourselves and look for the figurative message that God wants us to apply in our lives. How often we fall away from the Lord. And then when things are tough, we seek him for help and forgiveness. And then when somebody wrongs us, we choke out their apology and cut them off from our dearly lives, thus putting them in a timeout, or in this case, jail. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Okay, so now we get to the heart of today's lesson. I'd like to remind everyone that this is Jesus teaching Peter. We said it many times, but let's repeat it again. And so, by extension, he is teaching all believers with the spiritual ears to hear what he is saying to believers who sin by refusing to forgive a brother or a sister. In the story, the king sends the unforgiving servant, and remember, as we learned in our lesson on slavery in the Bible, we are all meant to be servants with King Jesus as our master. The king sends the unforgiving servant to prison to be tortured until he has paid his debt. Now, hang on, you say. 
that man can't be a believer. Oh no? Well, for one thing, who else would it represent? Lost people who go to hell? If that's the case, then why does Jesus say, until he had paid his entire debt, can lost people get out of hell after some period of time or something? Well, according to scripture, that is completely impossible. So before we go on, Jordan, I'd like to give some brief figurative to literal understanding for each of these following verses. Starting in verse 31, the other servants are praying to God for these two servants that are no longer in communication. In verse 32, the first servant is summoned to appear at the Bema Seat of Christ to evaluate his works for either gaining reward or suffering loss. In verse 33, Jesus is rebuking the servant for being a hypocrite. And in verse 34, Jesus orders the servant to be cast into outer darkness until his 1,000-year millennial reign on earth is complete. Okay, Andy, so some might be thinking, well, maybe Jesus was just speaking figuratively to illustrate how bad it is not to forgive your fellow servants, that is, brothers and sisters in Christ, but not so fast. We have one more verse to go. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Hey, Andy, Jesus just told you that if you refuse to forgive, you won't be forgiven either. That's right. And hey, Jordan, Jesus just told you that if you don't forgive from your heart, that means without holding grudges, you'll be going to prison. Yeah, so Andy, we now face a few problems. For one thing, it says the servant was tortured. Are we really saying that Christians can face torture? Isn't that too much like hell? Well, yeah, it might feel like hell, but it's not the lake of fire where non-believers will be for all eternity. No, this place of torture for Christians will occur in outer darkness. And outer darkness is found in Matthew 8, 12, Matthew twenty two thirteen, and Matthew 25, 30. Now, outer darkness or skotos, which one translated from the Greek means the shade outside the direct light, is a spiritual place of heartbreak. Unfortunately, unrepented Christians will be there. They will be in time out, separated from Jesus, the bridegroom, and they will not be allowed to participate in his millennial kingdom. However, after the thousand years, they will be released by God. Now, I'm sure many of us at one point or another have experienced what it's like to be heartbroken, right? I'm not alone in this. And heartbreak causes deep pain and mourning. For example, when we Christians lose a loved one, we miss them to tears, even though we know we will one day be reunited with them after we pass away or the rapture occurs. Okay, Andy, I can think of another objection. We also said the servant faced an unpayable debt of more than 1,000 lifetimes. Doesn't that mean our debt is unpayable? And doesn't that mean we're saying that Christians go to hell because they can never work off the debt? Again, Jordan, that is impossible. That contradicts Jesus' word. And we know already that God is not a God of confusion, nor is he a man that he should lie. That's according to Scripture. Do you remember those amazing words Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29? I'll read it for you. He said, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So we see that if we are predestined and called by Jesus Christ to accept him as Savior, we will never perish, regardless of our good or bad works. But keep in mind, according to this parable and many other parables, we can be put in a spiritual timeout as a punishment for being unfaithful to our Lord's word. All right, last one. People will say Jesus paid the unpayable debt, which is true. Then they'll say this whole parable is just an illustration of how Christians should behave. In the end, we can't get thrown into prison until the debt is paid because the debt is already paid. Even if we commit this serious sin, Jesus will rescue us, so we shouldn't read into this parable too much. Just a story meant to teach a lesson. There are no real consequences for this sin on Judgment Day. Christians cannot be punished because Jesus took all punishment for us. What do you say to that, Andy? Well, why don't we recall Jesus' words in verse 35? Doesn't his words, quote, that's what my heavenly Father will do, end quote, sound like real consequences? It's also important here to distinguish between the punishment of eternal separation from God and the punishment of unconfessed sins. I mean, do people really believe that whether we forgive or not or confess our sins or not, they're forgiven anyway, regardless? If so, why would Jesus even bother to tell this parable? The parable was told so that we understand our God is a just God. There are good and bad consequences for our actions with our Heavenly Father. And never forget Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, which say, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's 20 minutes, and that's our lesson. Before we go, don't forget, we want to hear from you. We welcome your questions and comments, even if you don't agree with us. I mean, we prefer if you agree with us, but obviously we're also interested in if you don't and hearing your um, Bible-backed reasons why. Feel free to just give us a call and leave a message. Our number is 908-271-6717. If you ask a good question or make a good point, we may even put you on the show. Once again, our number is area code 908-271-6717. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Or you could visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters mbs.org. Do you want to listen to this Bible study again? It's easy. Just go to 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters mbs.org. On the website, you can also subscribe and have these lessons automatically delivered to your inbox. Once again, that's 20mbs.org. Some of you are listening to us on Sirius XM channel 131, also known as Family Talk. If so, you should know that we're on every week at this time, Sundays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. Feel free to tune in and hear our latest Bible study every Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific.
Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Reserved Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.